Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. PartnerVest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. I'm your host, Charlie Wright, and we're very pleased you've joined us today. We're pleased to have David Armstrong, Portfolio Manager of Good Harbor Investments, with us today. And Dave is speaking to us from Good Harbor uh, Headquarters in Chicago. Dave, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Hello, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So, Dave, uh, let's begin with a little background of Good Harbor Investments. Tell us about who started it, when, and uh, what it's all about. Charlie, our firm has been around for the last 11 and a half years. Uh, and for investors, part of what they may want to think about uh, is firms and their management organizations uh, and how uh, they reflect what they do in their composite. Our RIA, Good Harbor Financial, uh, which investors have access to through a number of different mediums, uh, was set up back in 2003 because the gentleman who started the firm, a gentleman by the name of Neil Poplinski, uh, had developed an approach that he was using within his own 401k. Uh, and he developed it because he wanted to go back and figure out how to invest in equity markets and had conversations with a lot of folks like your listeners uh, and people such as yourself uh, to try to get some ideas to how to think about equity investing. And he took those ideas that he heard about and began to go back and do, I think, what anybody would want to do, and that is to run some analytics, to try to understand if the data that we say that uh, is uh, that we see in the markets, how prices move and how markets behave over different periods of time, how consistent they are with respect to what investors actually think that they do. And there were a number of discrepancies that we tend to find between what investors think markets do, particularly over longer periods of time, and also what we actually see that they, uh, how they behave. So Neil took those ideas and began to run them in his own 401k plan uh, and uh, ended up as a manager. He was posting his returns in his office, and people would look at the number, and in periods of time, Charlie, as you can imagine, when the markets weren't doing a whole lot or if they were... Uh, behaving favorably if the returns were positive, people were kind of unimpressed. Uh, and then he hit a period of time where the markets themselves went through a period of decline. Back in the late 1990s, investors may remember that there was a, a tech bubble that we talked about in the market. The NASDAQ market tended to increase significantly, uh, and then investors became disenamored and more risk-averse, uh, and the markets pulled back. And, uh, and uh, some of the people that Neil knew recognized that uh, his overall performance was certainly a whole lot better than the market in those environments. Very interesting. So what what was Neil's, uh, Dave, what was Neil's uh, background and experience? Did he come from the financial world? 
He did not. Uh, he grew up just as an individual, grew up in Michigan uh, as the son of a farmer. Uh, he had a very strong quantitative background, uh, which I think was important. Uh, being able to take uh, complicated ideas and to think as he does like an engineer, begin to approach uh, you know, problems from a systematic perspective using data to think about uh, and understand, as I say, that discrepancy between what people tend to think happens versus what actually does happen. Well, that must uh, have later been... on, he went to business school, uh, went to the University of Chicago, as a okay. number of us did. And Neil ended up graduating with the highest GPA out of his graduating class at the University of Chicago's, uh, now the Booth School of Business. Well, very interesting. Uh, that certainly shows he has a strong uh, academic and uh, intellectual background here. So he started his own firm. It must have been very difficult to start from scratch, especially not coming from the mutual fund or the money management industry. How were you guys able to attract money at the very beginning? For the first several years, Charlie, you're absolutely right. Uh, one of the things that we did in setting up the, the RIA, Neil's primary focus was proving out the strategy. There's a thesis behind what we do, uh, and this is always the case. I think investors tend to think about this. Platforms do as well. If you have an idea and an overall approach that appears to work well, then you want to take that approach and actually put it into the market. And so our overall expectation for the first several years was simply to run the strategy with a limited number of assets in it to see how it behaved. In our case, through 2003 and four and five and six and seven, the RIA had discretion over client assets. Uh, that was important for us. Uh, and we ran the strategy through that period of time, and our performance was, uh, I would say, it was modest, basically in line with the market overall. And through those periods of time, we continued to hear sort of a common refrain. You've got a very interesting idea. It's unusual that people had not really heard about taking um, uh, investing around uh, investor risk premiums, uh, and, um, but it wasn't really delivering a whole lot of significant alpha or a significantly higher return in those environments. And then, of course, as you know, 2008 came along, and uh, our strategy did reasonably well uh, in 2008 when the market had a very difficult year. Uh, we also did well in 2009, and those are the kinds of environments that a strategy like ours would take advantage of. And so uh, having time, being able to take the time to prove out the strategy in an environment where the business costs are not especially high is, I think, an important thing to do. Okay, well, and, and that says a lot. 2008 was the financial meltdown, of course, and in 2009 it came roaring back. So if you outperformed uh, the market in both of those years, uh, that says a lot for performance in both down and up markets. And I can see why people would be favorably disposed uh, to hearing more at that point. That's true. Uh, so tell me, what, what, uh, what is the basic investment philosophy behind Neil's uh, approach. And, and by the way, I, do you have just a single fund or a single um, strategy, or do you have multiple strategies, that are, and are they built on other philosophies? Yeah, we basically have grown into several different strategies today. The foundation of the firm, Charlie, Good Arbor Financial's tactical core U.S. strategy, probably by its very name, it'll make sense to investors. Uh, we're investing in U.S. equity exposure. We do a couple things that are different with respect to the strategy. Uh, how we make decisions is one component that's different. Uh, and then also our allocations over time. Uh, we're what's known as a tactical manager. A tactical manager has a flexible mandate. Uh, we have the ability to invest in not just one asset class to varying degrees all the time, but we have the ability to move between different asset classes. Uh, we're also different, I'd add, uh, with respect to other tactical managers because uh, you'll find that there are a lot of tactical managers that have a go-anywhere type approach. 
they can use any one of a number of different asset classes at various points in time. And in our case, we're fairly simple. We use U.S. equity exposure uh, when we want to be in equities, and when we're defensive, uh, we hold U.S. treasuries in our portfolio today. But we've grown that. Uh, the basic idea that investors' appetite for risk changes over time, that there are periods of time where investors become more risk-averse. Uh, we think under those circumstances that we'd like to be defensive in the portfolio or away from equities. If we do that effectively, and as you talked about earlier, 2008 was a tough year for investors because the markets tended to decline in value a lot. And so it's our view that if we can find ways not to miss all the losses that are created in the markets, but if we can miss more of them, we think we're going to be better off in the long term. That strategy did well uh, for several years uh, as we've developed that out. Uh, we've expanded further into non-U.S. markets. The basic idea is that it's, in our view, uh, this idea that investors become more risk-tolerant or more risk-averse is not unique to the U.S. markets. We think investors all over the world share this basic view. And so we've developed a non-U.S. Uh, tactical international approach uh, that uses non-U.S. based exposures with treasuries as its defensive alternative. We've also developed an emerging market equity strategy and a developed market equity strategy. And then lastly, under the Good Harbor Financial RIA, we also have a strategy called tactical equity income that's managed by Jeff Kim, one of my counterparts. And Jeff's overall approach takes advantage of the same idea. There are periods of time where stocks become depressed, not because their fundamentals have changed, but rather because investors have become unenamored or more risk-averse with respect to that particular security. Uh, and we think that that be presents an opportunity to invest and to capture more of the upside that tends to be created in mean-reverting assets. Dave, maybe we could uh, take just a moment and for our listeners highlight the difference between your strategy, let's take uh, the original one you talked about, the difference between that strategy and a typical mutual fund strategy, because I don't know that that has necessarily come to the fore in our conversation here. Yeah, so it's a great question that a lot of investors should think about. I think especially, Charlie, because when investors are putting together portfolios, uh, part of what we tend to want to achieve is a diversification of returns. And that's a complicated way or a fancy way of saying we want to have some of our investments going up when others of them are going down. If we do that, then the, the volatility or the ups and downs in our portfolios won't be as bad when we're going through them, number one. Number two, uh, managing that risk over time, we hope, if we do it well, will re uh, result in better returns over time as well. Less of the downside and more upside will provide some growth in the portfolio toward the target objectives that the advisor or the investor may have. And so part of one of the things that I tend to think about is uh, in developing some diversification of returns, uh, we want to do that by bringing together a diversification of ideas. So most mutual funds, and we have a mutual fund that we offer of our strategies, investors can use those as well, most mutual fund managers who tend to think about uh, underlying fundamentals in a business, um, they tend to think about cash flows. If a business is making investments in the early years, they're going to be basically spending more than they're bringing in. And then in the future years, if they're earning more than they're spending, uh, that will result in cash flow back to that particular entity. Uh, and so most um, investment approaches fundamentally, that are fundamentally oriented think about this idea of how is the company going to grow is it going to grow at rates that are greater than what are expected? And what do I think that it's going to be worth at some time out into the future? In our case, we think about this idea of risk. And the reason that that's important is because you can have a very strong, attractive business that may have great growth potential whose value can be high in the future. 
However, if investors don't like equity risk, if they shun equity risk at particular points in time, uh, that can mean that if demand goes away, then prices are likely to fall in those environments. Uh, and so in our case, we're looking at that basic risk component. When we're holding equity exposure in our portfolio, we're buying ETFs to get broad-based exposure to the equity markets, uh, just as many investors may do. And then, of course, if we want to be defensive, we'll sell those equity holdings and we'll hold treasuries in the portfolio as well. I see. So do you, do you, you hold these through ETFs. So number one, you guys are not stock pickers. We're not. Um, everything that we read and all that we believe in terms of the way that we apply what we do suggests that there's not a lot of value, again, with respect to what we do, to using this approach to buy individual equities. Uh, the value really comes from, am I holding beta to the market or not holding beta to the market? And if I do that successfully over time, then we'll create the kinds of returns that we've had over the last 11 and a half years. Okay, so you're not stock pickers. And number two, you actively tactically move inside and out of the equity market and the bond market. That's right. Whereas a typical mutual fund, almost all mutual funds, are fully invested at all times. Uh, That's right. So you're not fully invested in the equity market at all times, and you're not picking particular stocks. And what what type of indicators do you use, Dave, to determine if you should be in or out of certain markets? Um, so your point is a good one, Charlie, and that is that we're thinking about this idea, what's called the risk premium, or that higher rate of return that we earn holding equity risk at any particular period, which we, of course, don't know until after that period is over. And so we can't look at the risk premium, or we can't ask people what the risk premium is or what it's going to be. Uh, it's a byproduct of investing over time. And so we have to look at other data that we use to think about how we want to allocate because we want to try to figure out what the direction of risk premiums are going to be uh, over the next, in our case, a short period of time. Uh, And in our case, we think about a couple of things. Uh, The first thing we think about is what's happening in the economy. And the reason we think about the economy is because, in our case, um, we think that investors' views with respect to risk are tied to the economy. In those environments where the economy is expanding, when wages are up and profits are rising, we tend to find that people are more risk tolerant. They're more willing to take risk in their portfolios. And conversely, when we're in environments where companies uh, are suffering, uh, where homes are in foreclosure, when unemployment is rising and wages are under pressure, those tend to be environments where investors are more risk averse. And so we use that as a starting point in our process. We look at some uh, particular indicators. We look at credit. Uh, we look at output levels of the economy and growth rates. And we also look at the volatility index as well. So do, There are do two you, other components we look at. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Uh, well, I was just going to ask, do you uh, look at these on a daily basis? And do you make changes on a daily basis, potentially, or once a quarter? Or how often do you make these changes? Yeah, that's a that's a critical point to think about. In our case, we're making decisions with a monthly view with respect to the data. And there's nothing particularly magic about that. We do find that if you're making decisions on a more frequent basis, you can get caught up in a lot of what we call market noise. The market can have volatility, uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, the very function of the markets themselves are that when new information becomes available, whether it's economic or geopolitical or seasonal, whatever it may happen to be, uh, investors absorb that information. And people who think that that new information is net positive are going to be trading into the markets as a result of that. People who think that that new information is net negative uh, are going to be trading out in that environment. And then, of course, um, 
Charlie, as prices are rising or falling, you may get other investors who think that at these levels that this information is impactful or an opportunity to get into the market. So volatility isn't something that we necessarily want to try to jump in front of. We want to think about the direction of where that volatility is moving over time. And and are you sometimes... So we take a monthly view. Okay. Okay, a monthly view. That I appreciate that. And then... Do you sometimes are you sometimes a hundred percent in the equity market or a hundred percent in the treasury market? Can you be ninety four percent in one and six percent or another? Or how, how basically have you set this up? Yeah, there are two things that we do that are, that are a little bit different. I think there are a lot of managers who, if they think that equities are more attractive they will tactically move to an overweight position. They'll hold a little bit more equity risk or a lot more equity risk. We do something that's different, and that is that if we are in an environment where we think that risk premiums are declining, if investors are becoming more risk tolerant, we'll actually hold 100% of the portfolio in equities. And on the flip side, if we're in an environment where we think investors are likely to become more risk-averse, we can carry no equity exposure in uh, uh, in the portfolio. And we do that for a couple reasons. Number one, it doesn't make any sense to us if we think that risk premiums are likely to be declining to hold an overweight position because now you may perform a little bit better than the index, but you're not going to capture the value that you otherwise would. You'll be doing better on a relative basis, but still underperforming. And the same is true in reverse. If you're holding an underweight position in periods of time when the markets are declining, you may not be declining as much as the market and are thinking about your relative behavior or your relative contributions. Investors in those environments are still experiencing underperformance, and so that doesn't make sense to us either. So we do two things in the portfolio. One is that we have a three-state approach when uh, we're either all in the equity market, it's all out in bonds, uh, or in what we call a 50-50 state if the data uh, are in many ways conflicting uh, or ambiguous. And we wait until the next period to make another decision about what we want to do. I see. And so... Well, what kind of returns are, are you going to be satisfied with, given your, your tactical, the tactical nature of your strategy? What, what kind of returns are you satisfied with? What percentage in up markets and what percentage in down markets? Can, can you tell us that? Yeah, we actually don't target that specifically. Our objective is twofold. Number one, we want to focus on generating real returns, not relative returns. Uh, Being able to talk with investors about how you outperform the index by some percentage points here and there, particularly, as investors may remember, in those environments where the markets have declined in value, relative returns don't necessarily help you in the long term. The second thing that we think about, Charlie, is our returns over a market cycle, and that's deliberate. One of the things that we can do is we can look at the strategy's behaviors in different market environments. We tend to find that when the markets are in a bull market structure, when they're expanding in value over a multi-month period of time, uh, we tend to do well in those environments. We also tend to find that in those environments where the markets are under stress, Uh, where you see those multi-month periods of decline, periods of time where investors would otherwise want to be more defensive in their portfolios, uh, we tend to do well in those environments as well. Uh, And so we think in terms of uh, a market cycle, which can be a little bit ambiguous, but I think for investors uh, whose focus is on the longer term with respect to market risk, uh, we may be a contributor to their overall portfolios. 
Okay. Well, Dave, uh, this has been uh, very interesting. And uh, for anybody listening, they're going to recognize that, you know, tactical investment strategies uh, have not been around that long. And you guys were certainly on the forefront in the very early days of creating those. So we have to congratulate you for doing that. And uh, you, you guys uh, are more involved than, than many of your competitors who are trying to do the tactical strategy in terms of uh, the amount of money that uh, you, you, you're able to, to manage here. So we've got to congratulate you for that. We all know how, what a challenge it is to, um, for, for anybody to uh, be in markets that are rising and out of markets that are falling. And uh, that, that's a strategy even if somebody's been to Chicago Business School, correct? Uh, I think investing uh, for everybody is, uh, can have different environments that are more or less challenging. I think uh, one of the things for investors to keep in mind is we do as well. Uh, no strategy outperforms in every environment. Uh, thinking about how your different strategies will bolster one another in those different environments may be a way to help build a stronger portfolio over time. Yeah. And, Dave, if people want to reach you directly, how could they do that? Uh, there are two ways to do that. Uh, one way is to reach out to us through our website. Uh, they can learn more about what we do at either goodharborfinancial.com or ghf-funds.com. Either that or call our offices here in Chicago. We'd be happy to help out. Okay, and if anybody wants to just Google Good Harbor Financial, they'll, they'll find you that way. That also works. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you, Dave, very much. If anyone has any questions or would like to pursue anything, please send us an email at info at strategicinvestorradio.com. That's info at strategicinvestorradio.com. So this is Charlie Wright uh, on behalf of uh, Dave Armstrong and all of us here at OC Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to uh, having you back. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security.